Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Just a Sip. I am your host, Justin Sylvester. I am back. I am ready. And today, I'm taking a sip with someone I have admired for many years. This woman has shaped how I felt about comedy time and time again with her stand-up routines, with her appearances in some of my favorite shows. And I'm so glad to have her here for Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Please welcome the one and only Margaret Cho. You guys, Margaret Cho is in the house. I have loved this lady for so long, and I'm so happy I get to sit across from you. I wish we weren't in a damn pandemic and we could have been sipping a cocktail at this office. I know. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. How's everything been? It's good for uh, what it is. I'm fully vaccinated, which she's excited. And um, I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really grateful. Um, almost all the people that are really important to me are fully vaccinated, and we're so ready. We're so ready to just get out there. The greatest thing happened to me. My booty call that I've had for two years just texted me and told me that he got his second vaccine. So yesterday was a very great day for me. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I'm so I glad. know. I know. I never in my life would have thought that at 33 years old, this would be the thing that got me out of bed. You know what I mean? I'm like, it's oh my God, finally. Are you it's single beautiful. in this pandemic? I have a boo, but it's not like, um, do you somehow really love being kind of single on paper? I think that's really same. like the best feeling. But at the same time, I enjoy companionship. So it's really, I have the best of both, both worlds, I think. But how did that work out for you? Because I know I have one of my closest friends is um, Asian. And every time we, her parents, we could see them, they could be in a coma. They will wake up and say, when are you going to get married? We could be in the grocery store. And it's like, so but when are you going to get married? She can win a Nobel Peace Prize. And her mother would say, congratulations. But when are you going to get married? My parents are super upset about it. But at the same time, they've never been able to really figure out my journey in terms of partnership. And they also accept everything that I do because they know this is like, this is a new world. This is a new person. This is a new life and a new country still, you know, even though they've been here for 60 years, 
they <laughs> they I definitely feel like it's <laughs> like new. But I feel like you gave them no choice. Like, I think yeah. at four, if, if you're a comedian at 14, you're taking from experience. And uh -huh. I think your parents were like, all right, this is Margaret. And we may never have a grandchild, but we're going to have a happy, healthy, and well-adjusted young lady. Yes. And they're really, I mean, they trust me now, I think, which is really important. So I think that's really what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, but look, I'm still on the fence whether I think bisexuals are real people. Most people like really question it because they can't um, see uh, past. There's a lot of people who use the term bisexual in order to soften the blow yes. of their gayness. <laughs> yes. 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 I did it. I was one of those people. Yeah. So it's hard how, for people. Yeah, definitely. How did you know? How did, like, because I know what I, I knew at a young age that I like men. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I feel like as a girl, I think most of my girlfriends, my sister, I feel like everybody had that girl crush. You know, when you're 14 yeah. years old, you get a girl crush on somebody and you don't know what it means. And you're like going through the whole thing. But how did you go through your journey and come out of it and say, okay, I like both? Well, I started as a lesbian. So to me, it was really like the 90s. I had long jean shorts. I had a chain on one shoulder, a messenger nah. bag on the other shoulder, big Doc Martin boots. Um, you were butch. You were butch. I was super butch. And I would not stop coming out. Like, you know, like, I'm gay. Like, it was real queer nation kind of stuff. It was like really like, Silence equals death. We're here to fight AIDS with our gay brothers. We're here to like change the world. It was a very revolutionary time for gayness. Mm -hmm. You had to really come out. And then, like in the 2000s, I was like, like it was like a real questioning of it. And then, then I was straight for a while. A oh. juicy tracksuit, some Uggs, a flip phone. <laughs> She was straight for a minute with the Cadillac. She got a Chihuahua. She got a Chihuahua. She got a Chihuahua. <laughs> she was straight for a minute. And then it was like, wait, I don't think I <laughs> So it was really like just a process of finding out, you know, it was a fact finding mission. Yeah. But I love that we live in a place and in a generation now where you can do that openly and you can change your pronouns Monday and change them back on Thursday because, you know, you're back yeah. at this place. And, you know, it's so interesting because I feel like Hollywood is normally late to the party. Like we still have gay men who are in the closet and don't want to come out and are marrying women because they don't want to lose their careers. Yet the youth is, you know, I feel like a singer every other day is like, I'm also bisexual, pansexual, trisexual, and I don't know what it means. Right. I think younger people also really have got it going on. Like they know what their freedoms are. And that's really amazing. You know, they're knowing, they're owning up to like all of the different parts of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's powerful. And I think it's a good oh lesson. God. I think we've evolved. I think we've evolved. I think that we are teaching people that being authentically yourself is nothing to be ashamed of or afraid right. of. But I also see where people use their gayness as a, a, a tool to sell and commercialize themselves. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think it's, I think it's great though. Like, it's like, 
whatever is used to kind of just like make it publicly known that queerness is cool. I love it. If there are like ulterior motives, it doesn't really matter because somebody else is going to hear it and be like, Hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe I am. And then they'll realize that they are. And that's what they've been like searching for. I mean, yeah, I think you're ultimately right. Um, as an Asian female comedian, I feel like for people to take you seriously, you had to work three times as hard as any guy in the industry. <laughs> probably, probably. But I also know that anybody who is kind of othered in yeah. show business is that we do have to work harder to get half of the recognition. But it only makes us better artists. Like I'm not opposed to work and I'm not opposed to kind of proving what I can do because that's what the whole point of it is. So it is just the the journey and the the way it's kind of formed, but I'm okay with um, working on my skill and and selling that part of my art. So it's yeah. cool, you know, it's fun. I often wonder this because, you know, as somebody who is um, comedian adjacent, I used and I've leaned into the black stereotypes, you know, in my own form of comedy and getting ahead in Hollywood. And I look back and I question myself at times and I wonder, did I play into the stereotypes that we hate now because I in, not only embraced it, but I used it in my own standup. Do you ever wonder if you did the same thing? Sure, but why not? I mean, because it's like these caricatures of who we are were used to oppress us for so long. We use them because it's the language of who we are to white people. So yeah. I feel like it's fine. I don't I don't question it because I know that it's a way to communicate identity to um, simple uh, stereotypes are just sometimes the way that we're understood by the mainstream community. And, and so if that's a way to get in the door, it's perfectly viable because it's like, if it's used to oppress us, we're yeah. able to use it to gain an advantage and get in there so that we can show our true selves. You know, it's yeah. just a way to um, introduce identity, but it's also definitely problematic in a lot of ways. You know, I've been around show business for 35 years. And so you have to, you, you know, you have to sort of change with the times and understand that race is ever changing in the face of white privilege. And we're learning more and more. You know, I always say if somebody else is going to do it, who's not a part of my culture and is going to make money off of it and profit off of it, why can't I and why shouldn't we as a community? I also say don't come from my struggle unless you've been through it. So right. unless you've been a gay black man in South Louisiana, bitch, don't ask me why I'm doing it. Okay? Yeah, don't try it. Don't try it. <laughs> don't, don't try, try it. it. And that's that's where it becomes an issue is when people start to try it, but they've never had to live it. Right. And and so we're really part of the journey and the story of who we have um, emerged through centuries of oppression and centuries of pain. And so it's very I think it's very meaningful to question ourselves, but also to know that it's OK. Yeah, I 
read somewhere, and I can't believe this even happened to you, but when you were on All American Girl, you talked about how you had to lose 30 pounds in two weeks. Who the f had the conversation with you? Who had the gall? Like, please tell me it was Harvey Weinstein that was like, hey, I need yeah. you to lose 30 pounds in two weeks. Like, I need to know who it was. So I'm, I'm like, going bitch, to this person. Harvey, you lose 30 pounds. <laughs> he has it to lose. He can lose it. I mean, no, I, I think that um, the amount was pressed upon me. It was the urgency of like, do it quickly, like do it as fast as you can, because this is television. And we look at television. It was different then. There was only four channels, but a very narrow view of who Asian women were. Asian women were traditionally very like small, yes. quiet, submissive, the things that I am not in any way. So they're trying to contain me and, and try to make me sort of palatable for white audiences because they just didn't know what Asian people would be accepted as or how they would be accepted. So there was this yeah. fear around it. Like, oh, we didn't realize she was fat. <laughs> that, that yeah. was the <laughs> but it, was, it wasn't a person. It was really the ideas of television, the ideas of women, the ideas of what... Um, they were doing in this TV show that they were trying. So it wasn't like a person that was like saying, Oh, it was do the this. pressure. It was yeah. the pressure of everything going on around you. Yes. And it set off a lifetime of like serious, like eating issues. You know, fortunately now it's kind of like, I don't care, but it's very yeah. much um, a part of Hollywood and how um, women were viewed in the nineties, you know, if you're looking at the era of like Kate Moss and grunge and like there was like a lot of feminist empowerment, but at the cost of like body autonomy, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have the sort of body like acceptance that we have now. For sure. Well, I mean, on one channel, one of the biggest shows ever, you know, Alec McBeal, you had Calissa Flockhart, you know, all of the actresses back then, the waif was in. There was no J-Lo, there was no Kardashian. There was right. none of these women who had curved it out, you know, right. and I totally understand that. But I love how you, I love how you put it in perspective. You were like, there were four channels. I'm like, look, you didn't grow up with Arson Wells. Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. about yeah, it's a very different era and a different, um, there were different motives to keeping women contained. You know, now we know more, certainly. You must have had the time of your damn life in the 90s with no smartphones, being famous and being funny. You, you must have gotten kicked out of every after party. She was real cute in the 90s. And uh, <laughs> there were some fun things that went down. Um, but also it was sad because I didn't like the way that I looked. I didn't really enjoy being different you know i was like sad that i was like the only asian person there <laughs> like it was yeah. like weird it was scary and i didn't really love the way that i looked i didn't really love who i was and so i didn't get to enjoy my youth we didn't take any pictures like if you took a picture you would have to like take it to the drugstore and get it developed yes and, uh, i miss those days it's really sad. If you like went to go meet somebody, you had to go. You couldn't just text <laughs> them five minutes yes. before hey, I'm not coming. You had to go. If you wanted to go to something, you would like have to read about it in the newspaper and circle it with a pencil. 
and then go there with a map. <laughs> oh, you know, I grew up in the I grew up in the night. Well, the 2000s is when I like hit my stride. So I couldn't imagine booty calling with, you know, one of those Thomas Murphy guys trying to get <laughs> all over L.A. You know, it was really it wasn't easy when you would have to meet somebody in a chat room. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, let's talk about meeting somebody in a chat room. Because for some reason, we acted like we didn't see Dateline. Like, we didn't know that people went f***ing missing from meeting dudes in chat rooms. I was pretty lucky. Like, I didn't have any situations like that, fortunately, for whatever reason. Everything kind of worked out okay. But yeah, it, I think it became dangerous later. And also, I was a full-on adult. Like, I was in my late... 20s, 30s before I even started with that. So that but was. But you were also Margaret Tro. So if Margaret Tro went missing for three days, people would be like, Somebody "What the f- happened?" <laughs> yeah. Would know. So there was a lot there that I was like, I guess it just became because it's like so faceless and and um, anonymous. Yeah, I was 16 when I first like met someone in a chat room, like, and just talked to him a little bit. I never ever bit the bullet and actually met up with someone on uh-huh. from a chat room. But I remember thinking, oh my God, if people ever found out that I was like chatting in a chat room and would ever even consider meeting with a random person, like just a thought process. And like Natalie Halloway had like happened when I was in high mm-hmm. school. So I had mm-hmm. all of those things going through my head. Craigslist killer had happened oh, at the time. Yes. Yes. So and I scary. was living in Louisiana. You know, it's just like I wouldn't go on it now, but um, back then you would do it. I don't know. There was something about it that was less illicit, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There was something that was just more innocent, but of course now it's just too scary. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's so crazy because I remember when online dating became cool all of a sudden. Like, I remember being in high school and college and having my aunt online dating and everybody would be like, what the f- are you doing? Are you not scared? Like, what's going on? Are you crazy? And, you know, they were ahead of their times and she would meet guys and go to dinners. And then every now and then there'd be a big red flag. But people used to judge people for online dating. And now it's our primary way of meeting people. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy, but it's also, of course, it's like technology precedes everything now. Yeah. So um, I think it's great. I love technology because I feel like, especially with this podcast, I've been so lucky that in the Black Lives Matter movement and the George Floyds and the Breonna Taylors, I have been able to not only pivot and bring these stories and people's feelings about it to life. I've also been very lucky that the audience that follows me and listens to me they're open to hearing these stories in this type of way. And I heard that on the Mark Retro, the mortal minority, you are going to be doing the same thing and bringing some forgotten Asian stories 
to the forefront again. What was your thought process behind that? Well, Mortal Minority had been a segment on my podcast in the first season, and now we've just brought it to be the primary subject because of the rising cases of Asian American hate crimes over the last year, but also the historical context of all of the hate crimes that have happened and also um, not just perpetrated against us, but perpetrated by us. So there's a lot of um, history that I had no idea about. Yeah. That I wanted to learn about and, you know, discuss and also promote um, these different um, organizations that are helping uh, the victims of hate crimes overall, like for, you know, the increase of paranoia around the coronavirus and, it's just an excuse, really, for people yeah. to act out. But it's important because a lot of technology has helped us understand that hate crimes are alive and well. And it's really crazy how we've allowed it to happen for so long. And so I think that technology has really helped us. And hopefully when we actually come back to, you know, really open society, then we'll come to terms with our own biases and prejudices that exist within our society and in ourselves. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, I'm the first to say, you know, black people as a commute, as a whole, sometimes we are hard on ourselves and hard on the people that look like us when it comes to colorism within the black community, when it comes to socioeconomic situations in the black community. So I always say, you know, we, we need to really, you know, if we're going to say black lives matters, we need to make sure that we say black trans lives matters and black and and the darker black lives matters and all of these things happen. And I think a lot of times, you know, talking to a friend of mine who was on this show just a few weeks ago, Erin Lim Rhodes, you know, she was very open and honest about the inner race racism in wow. the Asian community. And it was one of the first times I had actually heard an Asian person actually talk about it because, you know, it's kind of like us. Like what happens in mm-hmm. Fight Club stays in Fight Club. But it's a huge problem. And it's really it has to do with a lot of like historical struggle between our nations of origin and it's so it it's like old biases that come and don't help us out as um uniting as asian americans so we have to really root it out and that's why i think the first step in learning to um cope with racism is look at the racism within our our own being yeah that's really important so yes it's crazy for Asian Americans and Asian people, I feel like, and again, I'm talking about my friend who enlightened me, you know, the Asian way was put your head down, don't make too much noise and keep on going. What's it finally feel like to say, we're not going to just put our heads down anymore. We are going to stand up and fight. It's very freeing and it's very um, cathartic and it's really, I mean, it's time and I'm really grateful for it. I'm glad. I love that. I bet you feel like in some way, because you have this platform and because you are, I keep on calling you the Margaret Cho, you have to, like, you can't just sit around and not do anymore. Yeah. And it's like so gratifying to see so many people be supportive of it and to look to stopping Asian hate as as being a real movement and and a real motivation. So, yes, it's great. I love that. What's this Netflix movie going on paper getting that Netflix money? <laughs> it's what so is funny. this? 
It's um comedy that was written by Eliza Schlesinger. She stars in it and she's great. And it's all about this relationship that so it's a true story that she had with uh, somebody who it's a very intricate story. It's crazy. We could all identify. She's really funny. And it's a really cool movie. And I hope people watch it. It'll be out pretty soon. Margaret, I'm bummed. You said something that is going to stick with me for like a week. Uh I'm I'm upset that when you were coming up and you were supposed to be enjoying this ride to the top that you never felt like you just never felt comfortable there, which is sad to me because... I always imagine you in my head as being the one who finally gets that party started. Like, oh, Margaret Cho's in the house, bitch. It's about to get crazy. Hide mm-hmm. the tequila. You know, I, that's what I think of when I think of you. So the Aww. fact that you didn't get a chance to enjoy that kind of bums me out a little bit. No, and it's sad. I know. Do you enjoy really it now sad. when you walk in a room and people are like, yeah, Margaret Cho? Yeah, I really live it. I mean, now it's, Like, you've got to enjoy it. And that's why I try to explain to younger people, like, you've got to really embrace your beauty, your joy, yourself, find what it is that makes you happy. Um, Really try to just feel good because life goes by really fast. But let me ask you this. Do you think if you weren't, let's say you were a CPA, let's say you weren't famous, let's say we never saw the stand-up comedy. We've never seen the sex in the city. We had never seen you in all of those things. Do you think that insecurity would have been as strong as it was? Oh, yeah. Just because I think, is it a womanly thing? It's like, you know, girls go through that. It's society. It's society uh, towards women. It's the way the times were, you know, um, that kind of invisibility. I think that if I was a young person now, I would definitely have an easier time of it because we have more of a an idea of like the media ex, uh, expressing different identities as being joyful yes. and beautiful yes. and also social media helps a lot too so we're more engaged as a society to reflect back what is true and so i think that's really helpful but um that's only been in the last few years really Oh, for sure. I mean, look, as a kid, I thought I was less than because I had darker skin. You know, I sometimes used to lie when I would go on dates and say that I was biracial because I I assumed in South Louisiana and in my mindset, you know, when you grow up and people value lighter skinned black people your whole life, it gives you a complex. And when people talk about can you believe that she would brighten her skin and she would bleach this and she brought that? I'm like, I can believe it because I know what that little voice inside feels like. And I know what it sounds like when you tell yourself you're not good enough because you're too dark. If that voice was a tiny bit louder or or I had been through one or two more other things in life, I maybe would have taken that step in life, but I I didn't experience what that person experienced because she mm-hmm. felt more compelled to go down that road. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy. sad. It's sad that we can't just embrace who we are and embrace the beauty of who we are. And it it's really that society's changed so much to come around to it. And it needs to come around more for sure, but yeah. it's getting better. I'm so happy you took this sip and I'm just so happy that I can talk to a real 
Asian woman who's out there who wants change and who's doing it not only for herself, but for other people and for other people to get this message. And I can't wait to check out The Margaret Show, The Mortal Minority. I think it's something that I need, you know? Yeah. I say, if I'm not learning, then a bitch is not living right. You know, <laughs> I had to learn. Literally, I had to learn. I am in the letter people, as Dave Chappelle would call us. I am the G in LGBTQ plus IA. And I yeah. find that I'm learning so much more about my L's and about, you know, about the G's and the T's and everyone else. And I'm trying my hardest to keep evolving because I know as a gay man, we continuously, continuously evolve, you know, and I'm yeah. not afraid to say as a black person, I sometimes have to have to educate myself on black issues. And as a gay person, I have to educate myself on gay issues because my name is not Britannica. I'm not an encyclopedia. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. We're all learning. It's, it's like when people are like, I need to ask you a question about what happened in 1865. It's like, bitch, I don't even know what happened in 1865 to black people. <laughs> like, just because I'm black doesn't mean I know everything, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it every day. Right. Me too. I'm well, good. I'm going to come on that journey with you, Margaret Cho. I love it. Bye, Thank Margaret Cho. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Oh, my God. We just had Margaret Cho on the show. If you have not, subscribe, rate, review, send this podcast to a friend who needs to hear it, who, you know, maybe has wanted to learn more about myself, about Margaret Cho, about what's going on with Asian Americans right now. Um, and follow me at Instagram, Justin A. Sylvester. I changed my IG handle. The lady sitter has died. And Justin A. Sylvester is here. Um, and I'll see you guys here next week for another Just the Sip. 